Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show with advice and insight into the technologies and practices currently being used to build web applications in the real world. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallen, and John Papa talk to industry experts about their experiences writing, deploying, and maintaining web applications in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript. This is episode 54. And this week, we're talking about styling modern applications with Nicole Oliver, a repeat guest on our show. We're going to talk SAS, Stylus, LESS, and we'll make up some other acronyms too. What's your favorite acronyms, Ward? Uh... <laughs> the ones I can't remember. Like uh, I was playing a board game with somebody the other day, and and Ar- they were trying to do something with ARM. Like I don't remember what ARM stands for. Do you? A board game and ARM? Yeah. Well, uh, you know the way my mind works. It's just <laughs> anyway, like I- Azure Resource Manager. <laughs> <laughs> no ARM. Like the chip. That's exactly where I was. Like what? What kind of? Because cl- this was a clue somebody gave me. Like I'm supposed to know. Uh, no, it's the chipset, right? It's, uh, oh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly what I said. Like, why did you give me, well, you're in technology. Thanks. (laughs) Like, don't you love that? Can you fix my computer while you're at it? Exactly. Yeah. Really? Uh, let's have an entire podcast where you invite listeners on and we'll surprise the guest, which starts today, by the way, Nicole, we're actually (laughs) have live guests come on with you and ask questions about how to fix their computers. What do you think? And we're going to ask you to uh, explain an acronym like ARM. Come on, quick, Nicole. What is ARM? (laughs) What does it stand for? What are those three little letters? Got no idea, do ya? Well, today's show is all about uh, modern styling, and we have Nicole Oliver on, as we said. Nicole is an Angular engineer at Narwhal, a co-organizer of the Angular Seattle Meetup, and is getting ready to lead her second NG Girls workshop this October. She's also currently... Lord, help us teaching herself to rollerblade. (laughs) (laughs) I'm two weeks in, two weeks in to, to, you know, from, from first learning to, you know, learning how to fall. (laughs) That's how, uh, that's how my husband, like, he, he told me that I really need to work on falling. He like, uh, he's been roller, no, I'm sorry, skateboarding for, for many years now. And he said, that's the skill that I need to pick up first. So. Well, you're going to fall. Like I learned to rollerblade a long time ago. I am not good. But <laughs> like the first thing that uh, my wife and I had to figure out was how to fall without hurting ourselves immensely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is Don't important. want to break your tailbone. Especially when going downhill. I, yeah, I haven't tried it because I'm from the disco four-wheel skate era. Mm, uh, yeah. Where falling was also an option. And, and that's why um, uh, this podcast does not have video. <laughs> oh my gosh every time i think of like rollerblading and um roller skating it's the same my, my kids are like dad you actually rode on these things before <laughs> like the roller skates it's like Ooh. well i actually didn't know that rollerblade was a brand until recently because i always thought like rollerblading was just the like right. the um inline skate or yeah the, like the foreign line yeah so um i was kind of surprised when i learned that <laughs> Like it's kind of like, was it Kleenex or Xerox? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's, Escalator used to be a, a brand name too. Oh, oh yeah? Yeah. Oh, really? I did not know that. Huh. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Deep back in my day. <laughs> by Lord Bell. <laughs> back in my day. You know, before electricity. Uh, uh, 
Uh, but I'm so glad we're talking about style because, like, I'm all about <laughs> style, and I've been trying to figure out how to get glitter onto my application. And I figure you're going to tell us about that. Nicole. How do uh, I don't glitter get me up? Started my... on glitter. Yeah. How do I so, glitter so, yeah. my app? Tell, tell us, Nicole. Like, we we have your notes here for the show that we, we kind of got in advance. But like, why why did you pick this topic? Because we were talking about a bunch of topics we could do. Why is this one important to you and to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Um, this is actually super important to me because I've been focusing on styling applications and websites for most of my career. Um, and I started off, I mean, I got, I got an art degree and, um, so I've always been really interested in design and, um, and art and and not just like the way that things look, but also how they function and people's interactions and making those smooth and fun and interesting. Um, so I, I, I really chose this topic because I think there is a lot of, there's a lot of people who sort of think of styling applications as sort of like putting a pretty finish on things. Um, and there's a lot to it. That's not that. Oh and, yeah. You can make it pretty anytime, right? Yeah. <sighs> Doesn't um, that drive you nuts when people say that though? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also like ways to make applications very pretty, but totally unusable, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, which is so frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this is something that I am, am pretty passionate about. Um, and in particular, I wanted to talk about it now because I have been thinking a lot recently about um, like whether or not the same rules that I learned when I was, um, when I was first learning to, to create applications um, and first learning CSS and HTML, if all those rules still apply in this like sort of new environment where we're using um, JavaScript frameworks um, and everything is very modular and we're writing a bunch of components. Um, so it, it, it kind of occurred to me at a certain point that I needed to sort of update my, my skill set and my knowledge. And, um, and so I've I've sort of learned a lot in the last year or two, and I kind of wanted to share that. Yeah, particularly if you can sketch out a learning plan, because I'm I am stuck in a CSS helplessness wasteland, and it and it really isn't just about colors and things like uh, where my stuff always goes awry is layout. And sure, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing goes, nothing is where I, it should be, nothing stays where it should be when the viewport changes. And um, I'm I'm constantly crying out for help. So yeah, uh, yeah. Love to hear is, your thoughts. And that area has changed a lot in the last five years or so with with um, flexbox and grid and and all that. And it's kind of hard to know, especially with like all the frameworks out there, um, what the sort of quote unquote best way to do things is. Uh, I'm sorry. Can we, can we pause for a second? Actually, uh, we've heard the words flexbox and grid a lot in this industry. Can you just take a moment and explain uh, individually what those things are and why someone would want to use them? Sure. Um, so flexbox and grid are both uh, CSS uh, technologies or features, modules actually, that, um, that define different ways to lay things out. So flexbox came first and, um, Flexbox comes kind of like in a, it's a, a 1D array. So you're defining um, how a series of elements are going to be laid out um, just in a row or a column and whether you want them to be aligned towards the center or on the side, whether you want them to um, wrap if there's too many to fit on one row. Um, 
It gives us a lot of flexibility that we really didn't have before Flexbox. Um, I remember in, I think, 2012 or something like that, we went to a, um, I went to a conference, uh, a list of parts conference. And those conferences are fabulous. If you've, if you've never been to one, they're these little boutique conferences um, and they have just fabulous speakers. Um, and I listened to a talk where, gosh, I can't remember who was giving it, but um, they were talking about Flexbox for the first time. And I, <laughs> I nearly in the middle of the talk, just like stood up and started screaming and shouting with excitement because uh, it was just so frustrating to do layout before Flexbox. Um, and now that's become a very, very uh, regular way of doing layouts. Um, grid is more, it's, a, it's another way to do it. And you think of it more in like a 2D format. So um, you can, you can actually emulate like a table, but um, you really think of everything kind of like a table, like grid rows, but you have control over like what uh, size each row will be and like how, how many uh, like cells each element will take up. Now I'm looking at the CSS tricks page for Flexbox. It's the one I always end up on, quite frankly, and I'll put this in the, in the notes here. First of all, their site is beautiful and their articles are laid out really, really well. Chris Coyer does a fantastic job, as does his team. But reading through here, like every time I have to do a flex box, I'm going to admit right here to everybody, I have to go look at this page. And I have to always remind myself, all right, what do I have to do to make it work? Like the parts of flex box that are always obvious to me are I have to give it a direction. You have to tell, is it row or column based? And I rarely do row reverse or column reverse, but it's either row or column. And I have to think about that for a minute. And then do I want flex wrap? or not, which is should it wrap the columns or not wrap them example. But the part I always stumble on is you need a container, uh, some kind of element that wraps, not wraps, that's a bad word, that uh, surrounds the whole thing. And you have to give it a display of, you know, flex or something. And I don't know why, but I always forget that part when I do it. You know, the order is easy. It's like, yeah, I want this first, that second. But um I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, laying out my insecurities here, but that's no, 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 no. I totally, I totally sympathize with that um, because I, I think a lot of problems um, with understanding how CSS work just works just generally come from uh, the fact that a lot of CSS um, is like contextual. So you have like child and parent elements, and um, because we don't really get feedback the way that we do in JavaScript and some other languages about like when something doesn't work, um, you, you kind of end up with like some situations where you're, you seem to be doing everything right, but then you forget about that, like container element needs to be of a certain positioning or something like that. Like I had a, a problem like that, um, somewhat recently where I was trying to use the, um, sticky, like make a sticky element. So that's like something new in CSS. Well, relatively new in the last, um, you know, five years or so um, that you don't you have use to use Flexbox JavaScript. to do that. Or what, what did you use to create that? No, it was just, it's, um, it's a positioning um, option now. So, Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. It used to be that you would need to use JavaScript to create a sticky element on the page. Um, and then they added it to CSS and, uh, it's a really, really cool feature. But what I didn't know at the time was that you need the parent element to 
not be positioned relatively because the browser can't really figure out where the the element is going to be if it's positioned relatively. So I spent all this time trying to like figure that out. You really have to like go through the documentation and just kind of scour it. There's, <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> that's, that's, that's been a frustration of mine occasionally in CSS um, that you, that you sort of have to have all this, it's not tribal knowledge, but it's, um, it's a lot of like surrounding knowledge. It's not just like one or two rule sets you need to know. It's, or, uh, or like properties that you need to know. Like you need to know kind of all the surrounding properties that have an effect on that property. Hey, Ward, guess what time it is? I don't know, John. What time is it? It's time to talk about data and web apps and AG Grid. AG Grid. I've got a story for you. Do tell. Well, it's uh, about my own consulting company, IdeaBlade, where we build web apps for enterprise clients, and they tend to have lots of data grids. And lots of complex data grids. Last year, w- one of our clients said, we want you to use AG Grid. So we said, okay, let's give it a try. And it turned out great. So you must have had a lot of requirements and features. How did you go through that process? Well, John, these enterprise apps are, are very data intensive and they want lots of features. We needed all the bells and whistles, uh, column filtering, column sorting, moving the columns around, uh, custom components inside the data cells, and even grids within grids. And it just worked fine with AG Grid. Just great, actually. Okay, but the ultimate uh, terminator is going to be performance. How fast was this with a lot of rows? We, you know, had initial worries about that too, but it scrolls so smoothly through that data when you're getting it remotely. It was fantastic. Would you do this again? Would you recommend it? Well, we certainly would. In fact, uh, my business partner, who was the lead on, on the team that built this project, he tells me now, despite the fact that he'd been using another grid all this time, uh, if somebody asks me today to recommend a data grid, I recommend AG Grid. And coming from him, a uh, real curmudgeon, that is high praise indeed. So everybody out there, do check out AG Grid at their website, ag-grid.com. Yeah, so we just dropped, uh, Ward and I just dropped in a CSS position sticky uh, set of articles that we both uh, were looking at while, uh, Nicole, you were talking. Honestly, I admit I hadn't uh, known this existed. That's really darn cool. I'm going to go read this I've had, the, I've had the problem. <laughs> yes. uh, and I had no idea that it was uh, in the browser, which is often the case for me. Um, yeah, we've all done position absolute or position. Oh, I'm just totally you know. hosed by position every single time. And <laughs> when I tie that in with animations, it's just all over for me. I keep waiting <laughs> for the position of just go where I want it to go. Yeah, where's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, this gets to, uh, so as you've been doing this, like one of the things that also happens to me, maybe you have some uh, guidance for this, Nicole, <laughs> is uh, I'm very likely to break something after I kind of got it right and do something oh, else. Yeah. And I, you know, we all know about writing end-to-end tests, but I, I, I'm usually writing end-to-end tests so that they are not not brittle with respect to visual layout changes. But at some point, I need to write some just to make sure that that the things show up in some way that's expected. What's what's your do you do you recommend any kind of testing practices that are really focused on appearance and not just functionality? I think for that particular case, um, gosh, I'm going to sound silly here, but I can't remember the name of it. But like there's there's a type of testing that you, where you can you can take a screenshot and just compare like visually oh, the yeah. screenshot. Uh-huh. That can be really helpful for those kinds of situations. Yeah, I think Cypress will actually do that, too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We were just talking with, I think it was Amir on our show award. He was talking about that feature. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think there are plugins for, for, um, a lot of things that, that yeah, when I was at Disney, we actually got a CI tool that did that, which was right. Neat. So, oh, well. so, so that, but that would be a way. So you wouldn't try and programmatically say, yeah, I expect this thing to be uh, visible here or position such. I mean, you might do those you tests can too. Do, you, you can do that. And there may be libraries to do that. I'm, I wouldn't be familiar with them though. Okay. Okay. So, so let me roll. I mean, so, so we're sort of talking about how, how difficult it is for us in CSS and, 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 and we know that there are these post-processors that let, make it easier for us to write the CSS we want, but they don't really address this. That, that correct? In other words, SAS doesn't, or lesser, what it was the stylus? Stylus. Um, these are the popular ones. They don't really change this. They just make it easier to write. But you still got to know what you're doing, right? Yeah. So there's there's preprocessors and then uh, there's postprocessors, and they. I don't want to say that they do the exact same thing, but they do have some overlap. Um, so the preprocessors would be SAS and less and stylus, and uh, they like when I started using. SAS, the real draw for me was like dealing with um, vendor prefixes and oh, yeah. um, just being able to scope your your CSS better. I actually didn't realize it at the time, like when I started with it, but it really changed the way that I wrote my styles because the scoping became so easy. Can you give us a little example? Can you give us a... Sure. It's just that, um, so with SAS, uh, it's easy to nest the uh, selectors that you have. And um, if you don't know what, um, like what it's actually producing, it can become a pretty ugly mess of selectors. Um, but you have the ability to go in and say like, okay, I want, you know, inside, uh, I want to wrap this entire uh, section of selectors um, and rule sets in, in, in one parent selector. And so every, um, you know, every div inside of this, um, div with the class name um, looking good is going to look a certain way, um, but it's not going to affect the CSS outside of um, outside of that right. uh, class. So in that way, you can kind of scope your CSS, and um, it kind of gets rid of the the first level of fear of like you know, globally changing your CSS and causing a huge styles disaster, <laughs> um, which <laughs> I think used to be like a much bigger fear that we have a lot of options now to mitigate that. Um, well, I think there's some, there's some good patterns too that people can follow with CSS um, that I think some of us take advantage of or assume after a while. Uh, for example, something, I think Ward actually, you're the one who mentioned to me a long time ago, this, um, gosh, years ago, we were talking about this with, making sure you don't have this fragile house of cards of, uh, uh, for example, let me give you an example on how to describe it. Like this H1 has this div, which has another div with a class called foo, which has a, another div, which, you know, this absolute nested hierarchy of elements and classes that gets so fragile that as soon as when he moves a div, nothing you're works broken. anymore. Right. You're broken. Yeah. You know, those are always bad patterns. And the way I try to avoid those is try to, get more specific on the class specificity at the thing I'm actually trying to style. Um, and usually I only end up with like, you know, one level of hierarchy is what I try to aim for. I'm curious, you know, is that, is that good? Is that bad? I mean, should I be doing more of that? Yeah, I think it depends on um, the tools that you're using. Uh, so 
One thing that I've noticed as far as trends uh, recently is that there has been a lot of people, there have been a lot of people kind of going towards uh, more of a utility first um, approach to CSS. And um, what I mean by that is like, they will use a library instead of sort of using a, like a UI toolkit, like Bootstrap or Foundation or um, Bulma is another one. Yep. Um, they'll they'll sort of make the basis of their CSS a series of utilities, um, and these utilities are just like very small, tiny classes that define like padding or um, or margins or typography, and um, and th- so those are all like very low specificity um, classes. And, um, and, and that's kind of like the beauty of it. You're not like spending a lot of time fighting specificity, um, in your CSS. Um, that's one, one great benefit of it. So I just kind of assemble a semantic, like I've seen, is that what I'm seeing when I see somebody have BTN and then BTN dash large and then BTN dash important or, you know, no, that's like, that's actually kind of more of the, um, like smack style. So that's a, a methodology. Ooh. Smack? Smack. Smacks. Smacks. That's the way We're that I We're talking smack to... now. <laughs> That's the way that I used to write all my uh, CSS. I think it stands for, it's, it's S-M-A-C-S-S. CSS. Okay. Yeah, it's like, um, I think it's scalable and modular architectures. Okay. For so that's CSS. not what this is. That's... Yeah, yeah. So that would be like. Um, so what's your utility? Using... So utilities, some examples of utility-first libraries are uh, Tailwind, um, Tachyons is another really popular one, and then um, Atomic CSS kind of has an interesting approach to this. It's kind of more of a, like, programmatic approach. It's from... And which one of those is your, your favorite, Tailwind or Atomic or Tachyons? So this is actually something that I don't have a lot of experience with. Um, I've just started becoming exposed to these libraries. Um, I've used Tachyons um, and I, and I really enjoy it, but I'm primarily a Angular developer. I, I try and do some experimentation with Vue and, and React, but um, my familiarity mostly is going to be with Angular. And um, the way that some of these libraries work is that um, in particular Tailwind, is that they really get a lot of their power from a post-processor, uh, post-CSS. And um, unfortunately, I, I don't think that Tailwind is very popular in the Angular world because we don't have access to uh, the Webpack config um, where we, we didn't Here, historically. We're, we're used to, yeah. Let's, let's yeah. go on strike. What's going on there? <laughs> I actually think that this <laughs> might change. Um, because with Angular 8, they introduced the like architect, um, the architect API, um, and that I believe is going to give us access to. I mean, you, you could you could potentially write something to give you access to the Webpack config. And why is it, why is that important with Tailwind? With Tailwind, well, uh, because of the way that I mean, you can use Tailwind just with the like sort of plain static uh, CSS, but you're not going to get um, a lot of the post-processing power. So, so wait a minute. So this is a post-processor 
so because we have the preprocessor, right, which is SAS, and we have these post-processor, let's say it's TAC, tacking or Tailwind. Now when I go... <laughs> tacky, tacky Wind or Talion? Talion. <laughs> now when I go in and I, you know, when I'm looking at the screen and I go right-click, uh, inspect, you know, what am, is what's the relationship between what I see and what I wrote, given that I've got a preprocessor and a postprocessor, you know, I, am I ever going to be able to go back to say, like, where did that come from? <laughs> um, I think that, so the utility first approach is fundamentally different uh, from the way that historically a lot of people have written their CSS. So like the way that I've always written my CSS um, has been like, you have an element and you want to style it um, and you give it a basic style and then say you want to have like a, a version of it that has, um, you know, rounded, rounded uh, corners. So you add that style and then you add another class so that you can just pop that on. And then you want a, a bigger version of that. Um, so you add a little padding and a different like class that you're going to add on to that. And um, it's sort of this like layered approach. The approach gives you a lot of consistency, right? Because you're you're going to apply the same classes and every time you need to make a variant of it, you need to have this extra class. So um, if you keep your variants relatively small, then it's not going to be like a, um, it's, it's going to be pretty organized. I'm sorry, let me, let me ask you a question on this because when I got into... Uh, for years, I've been doing Bootstrap and Bulma and things like this, right? We've, we've had these libraries, which are, they come not only with typography and layout and basic styling, but also with components, right? Like, give me a button or a form or whatever. And I think what Tailwind and these newer wave of um, libraries are coming with now, these design frameworks, is they're saying, you know, they're utility first, but when I look at the real difference, they seem to have the same things as the others, except, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong here, they don't have the components. And they seem to have, like, the end result is when I write with Tailwind versus, like, Bulma or Bootstrap, I end up with less uh, abstracted things in my CSS. Like, I don't end up with, like, a, a button style, but instead I end up with, like, a bunch of different classes. Um, so in a way, I feel like that's good because it's a little lower level and I don't add all this extra complexity of like magical classes being added under the covers that Bulma and Bootstrap do. But the other side I, I see is like even just looking at their examples, there's a div on this page and I've got, you know, uppercase tracking wide, text small, text indigo 600 and font bold all on a div. Those exactly are what I'm scared with. Scaring a lot me of classes. Looking, yeah, I'm looking at the home fade for Tailwind and they're doing this great demo and here's the class h-16 w-16 md colon h-24 md colon w-24 rounded dash full mx auto and it keeps going now I, i'm like whoa how am i gonna <laughs> keep that consistent um yeah uh i you know i just want to call that my image class yeah so i think that um this is partially just sort of like a matter of preference um but what the what this utility first approach does give us is um, we're really moving styling the styling responsibility away from the style sheet and um, making style sheets more of a sort of like dev dependency that you're like not going to touch. And 
we're moving all of that information instead to the template or your markup. Uh, um, yeah. And they're more descriptive too. I mean, quite frankly, all that stuff you just read, Ward, I, I, I kind of like it because now I kind of get a sense for what those things are doing as opposed to button. Yeah. Okay. What, 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 how did you style that button? <laughs> you know? well, then I click, you know, then I go and I hunt for button in all my gigantic CSS and I know exactly what it is. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. I see um, the pros and cons there. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's others that we're not really identifying though. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what's, what's your lean these days, Nicole? Well, I, I just started um, kind of getting onto this like, uh, utility first approach. And I really like it so far. Um, the thing that I like about it is that I've spent so much time in my career writing, um, writing these like very organized style sheets um, and trying to sort of like maintain the organization. And then, you know, like somebody needs this extra variant and you add that in and then you have, um, you know, any number of requests that sort of come in and sort of in theory, like the components seem very organized when you start off. And then over time, they get more and more disorganized. And it, it ends up being that most of your application is made up of exceptions, <laughs> at least in my experience. No, it, you know, there's something to what you're saying. I, I'm, I'm sort of replaying in my head my, my major application and watching what's happening to it. And, and we've talked in the past about how style sheets get to be, the, you know, gigantic yeah. and, and unmaintainable and well, untestable. You just alphabetize them then and it just makes the problem well, go yeah, away. That, <laughs> <laughs> that works for people who know the alphabet, John. <laughs> Uh, that was sarcasm, by the way. Uh, and speaking <laughs> of sarcasm, it is now time for uh, uh, to pay the bills with a word from our sponsors. Do you want to spend more time building great applications and less time configuring your tools? Do you want a deeper understanding of the Angular platform? The experts from Narwhal can help. Narwhal is a consulting firm made up of former Angular team members and wonderful web experts who help developers build apps better and faster through their consulting, training, and open source tools. You may be familiar with NX and Angular Console, two of Narwhal's free tools that already help top companies worldwide to build ambitious Angular apps with modern tools and practices. If you want to build software like Google does, consider working with Narwhal. Learn more at nrwl.io slash realtalk. That's narwhal.io realtalk. And we're back. And yes, we're having a good time today on our show talking about styling, CSS, SAS, Tailwind, Tachyons, and rollerblading. Which one of these is not like the other? Which one will hurt you? All of the above. <laughs> oh, come on. There's got to be like a rollerblading CSS framework out there. Uh, there, there should be. Rollerblade, you know. Oh, my God. What a great name for one. Uh, <laughs> or, or I want to switch now to the grand debate that uh, John and I frequently have. Uh, John is uh, often is, speaks favorably of um, using the style at the component level. And I resist that like it's the plague. All right. So um, uh, the reason I resist it like the plague is um, is because I I I now for two re- two main reasons. One, 
Uh, and now I'm doing something. I can't tell what's really idiosyncratic for the component and what is being inherited o- over um, the rest of it. So I have this little exception there, and I don't understand why. But my big objection is that it that uh, at least in Angular, a, a style um, applied to the component uh, uh, applies only for that template and not for anything that's nested inside of it. So uh, I have, and I can't. Also, I can't penetrate down uh, from an outer component to adjust any kind of CSS or styling or something like that. That's in a nested component that has uh, its own styling. So uh, it just it just seems to throw more um, pain and obstacles in my way than advantage. Um, so that's Which is exactly my- why I use it. I like to throw as much pain at work <laughs> as I possibly can. <laughs> Uh, but John, maybe you can speak for why you think, you know, in one sentence, why you think that's right, because I only needed two. And um, <laughs> and then Nicole can set us straight. Yeah, so uh, just setting the foundations here, we're talking about effectively, just let's oversimplify, uh, either creating like one global style, style sheet, or, or having individual scoped styles for components, which in Angular and Vue would be scoped components, scoped styles. Or in React, you'd use the styled components, which I'm putting links to all this inside the show notes. Uh, I tend to like the styled side uh, for the components in any of those frameworks uh, for things that won't bleed into other parts of the app. And maybe this is just because I've been burnt way too many times by creating styles at the global level that went places I didn't need them to be. And maybe that's because a lot of times I create apps that are used inside of other apps. So they bled into other apps. So I don't think it's a right or wrong, but uh, Nicole, go ahead and tell us why Ward is wrong and I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, so this is actually a question I am also really interested in. And uh, the reason why is because I, I think I, like before I, frankly, before I joined Narwhal, I was pretty convinced that Ward's side is completely right. Like you should still be doing everything global um, because like, I want to trust the cascade, you know, that's what I call it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I want to be able to let the uh, browser render things in a way that um, I, it's like classic. I understand it. Um, and everything is going to be consistent throughout the site. Um, consistency was like sort of my number one concern there. Um, and I don't think that's a bad approach now. Um, but I did, like when I got to Narwhal, uh, I noticed that everybody did almost completely um, component level styles. And um, I work with a lot of very smart engineers. And I, you know, I started asking them um, why, like they chose to do it that way. Um, and one of the things that I realized is that if you have a lot of styles um, and you are thoughtfully composing and lazy loading your modules, um, if you break your CSS into your components, you are also lazy loading your CSS. And that sort of naturally gives you, um, like, I guess I would say that five years ago or maybe seven years ago, there was like a huge, there was a lot of talk on the internet about whether or not you should, or like how you should break up your, your style sheets. Um, And there was a lot of talk about like breaking 
the essential styles above the fold styles into a separate style sheet mm-hmm. and then deferring mm-hmm. your, you know, deferring your, your other CSS. And if you break your uh, styles into, um, into modules and into your components, you sort of get that for free, um, which is, I think a pretty, a pretty good thing. Um, but the reason why I favored global styles is because I have worked on a team before where um, weren't as like good at uh, making, at, at sort of like cleaning up the component level styles because like if it's so in one component. a lot component, of code that you don't use. Yeah. End, like, it, like dead code. Kind of an, yeah. You end up with a, just a, a ton of like uh, bloat because it's just in this one component you don't have to like worry about it as much. Um, or it's but, nowhere anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think, I think you just need to be like sort of thoughtful about the way that you um, clean things up and, and um, you know, you, you can't use it as an excuse to just let things slide. If that makes sense. Well, let me play a little devil's advocate too. Cause uh, you know, I, I do words, right. I do like to lean more towards the component side, but the thing I sometimes uh, see as a struggle is I'm creating, uh, let's make it real. I'm creating some kind of a master detail set of components. And in the detail component, I've got like some form items with inputs and buttons and selects and things like that. Mm-hmm. In there, I want to style that form a specific way. So I start creating the styles there. Everything's great. It only applies to that particular component. Now I go create another component somewhere else, which also needs the same kind of stuff that I was creating in that form. Do I then copy those elements over to another component? Do I move those to a global style sheet or do I do something in between? And this is where I've kind of been leaning lately. Um, and I'm not sure I like it yet, but create like a, uh, a mix in or a function, you know, with SAS where I have like an, you know, a style, my input type function, which is a mix in, which then I then share into those different components. Uh, is there a better option? I mean, do you see the problem where it's like you think you're isolated into this one component and then all of a sudden you realize you're not? Yep. What do you do? <laughs> my So my opinion is that you promote those to global styles, um, especially for like form forms. Like a lot of that stuff is going to be pretty complex. Um, if you're using something like, if you're using something like a Angular Material, like that stuff is going to be global anyway. Um, my feeling is that generally you want to not use mix-ins for like very large amounts of code like that. Um, Another strategy I've seen is to like just import into like a component level style. And I think that's, I haven't, I haven't done the research on this, but I'm pretty sure that what that does is it just copies that code. It's, it's a pretty difficult problem to like tree shake CSS. So I don't think you really, I think you just end up with a lot of duplication. Yes, I've seen that a lot. Like I'll give you an example in a view app that I wrote recently and I was actually talking with Chris Fritz, who's been on our show in the past and we need to get him back on, by the way, Ward. Uh, He was excellent. And I was working on this um, view example where effectively I was like, ooh, I read this cool article by Sarah Drasner and she's amazing. And it said, I can import my, uh, my, my SAS as I was using at the, root level of the project, so it inserts it into every lazy loaded component, effectively. Uh, so all that stuff kind of just gets used and shared everywhere. And of course, I probably stopped reading at paragraph one where it said how to do it and <laughs> didn't read the rest of it. And what I found as a side effect was that it was actually duplicating that entire SAS file, you know, 20 times in my app. 
where I ended up with this, you know, let's say it was a half a meg, which, I, you know, shame me if it was, but, you know, now I've got 20 half meg files that are exactly the same loaded everywhere. Uh, and I was talking about this, this uh, issue with Chris and we were talking about ways to get around it, which, you know, just don't do it at the root level and just randomly say, hey, everybody gets it. But that is one of those patterns that I feel is good for some things. And um, going back to Sarah's article, she did explain that later on. I just didn't get that far bad on me. But <laughs> reading some of that stuff, it's like, all right, sometimes by sharing things at the root, you can actually run into problems too where you duplicate uh, some of this stuff. So CSS is hard. And it's not just it the is. CSS. It's the you know lazy loading when you introduce that into it. I'm glad you brought that up. That introduces a whole nother level of thinking that we have to have around this. And what's your recommendation with that? Well, the way that I'm doing things right now is uh, I keep all of the, you know, like the common styles um, that we really need to uh, have access to everywhere. I keep all of those in global styles and, um, and then I use like a, it's sort of like a 50-50 approach, um, 50% uh, component level styles and then 50% global about. Um, but I am pretty excited about like the the utility first uh, approach as well. So that's probably something I'm going to be experimenting with a lot. Your utility approach does sort of, it's, it, um, now you're putting it right in the template itself uh, as opposed to a style sheet. Uh, effectively and now but it's got to come from really somewhere say, so where does that come in is that the post process the global library right in other words when i see eight looking sticking with tailwind for a second and i see h-16 well actually is it going to go into my template and fix it there yeah it will right the post-processing oh yeah mm-hmm. uh so that's 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 where i think um that's like where we have the the tooling and react and not angular right now but um we may have it soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so basically, uh, that stuff is at the highest level. That's essentially Tailwind. Essentially, becomes as if it were global CSS, right? Yeah, but the I think uh, there is sort of less because you're like really doing the composing in um, in the template. There's uh, potentially less CSS global CSS right. to load in. Right, 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 right. Which I think that's is kind a good of an advantage. Overall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you can if you can read this stuff, you know, uh, off your in your head and say, oh yeah, h sixteen w sixteen md eight colon h oh yeah, I know what that means. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe it's as uh, you know maybe that takes a lot of the you know if that's if that really becomes natural, uh, then you don't have to have all these style sheets. So yeah. there could be something there. Yeah. And I think it, it also sort of helps with the problem of like uh, what I was mentioning earlier, where you have to remember for a given property, um, you know, other related properties that need to be set in order for it to look the way that you expect. So, Nicole, this was a really good conversation we had here uh, about this. I appreciate you coming on to talk about all this and to uh, effectively reiterate to everybody that word is wrong and that I'm right. uh, (laughs) that isn't what i heard john but uh (laughs) oh my gosh um no we love to tease each other everybody we do show knows uh anyway so do you have any final tips for us we like to at the end of the show kind of leave our audience with you know where would you start or you know we're talking about this topic what's your uh, words of advice for people wanting to get into either whether it's tailwind specifically or with one of these frameworks like bulma or angular material 
or just in general, how you approach CSS and, and SAS? Sure. So um, when I'm starting a new project, usually, or looking at uh, revamping the styles on a project, usually the questions that I ask myself are, of course, like what technologies am I working with? Um, and then what does the team look like? So sometimes you'll have a team that's like full of front end developers or a team that is like mostly, um, you know, general, general programmers, and they might not be as interested in sort of like learning this whole new system, um, or taking sort of a, what seems like a radically different approach, like the utility first, um, approach. And then, um, like, what do you value most highly? So like, if you have a lot of designers that are looking for consistency across an application, um, or if you want to be flexible. Um, I think these are all really important questions to ask because um, it, it really, like the approach that you take really depends on your team, right? Um, just like, <laughs> I guess all, all interesting questions have to be answered with, it depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. we agree that, you, you would agree, Nicole, that if you've got a, team approach and you've got one it's kind of like pick one and stick with it rather yes absolutely absolutely we, we laugh at that but it's uh you see it more often than not right where you're working on a project with other people and not intentionally but at the end you kind of come together everything's amazing my stuff's great your stuff's great we merge it wait a minute we did things two completely different ways what are we doing mm -hmm. here <laughs> yep um, for my tip for everybody, uh, it's actually to follow Nicole on Twitter and check out the work that she's been doing and the different speaking that she's been um, performing and presenting at these different conferences. Uh, there's you. a lot of great work out there. And you're working with Narwhal, correct? Yes, I am. Who's one of our uh, more consistent sponsors. So thank you, Narwhal, for uh, sponsoring us. And thank you for employing Nicole here. But the best reason to follow Nicole on Twitter and this is by far the best reason, is because of all the wonderful pictures of Jeff Cross eating donuts <laughs> that she posts <laughs> in her timeline. Uh, yeah, if you don't know who good. Jeff Cross is, definitely check him out. Ex-Googler, now works uh, one of the founders at Narwhal, uh, an awesome, great guy. And I think he actually has an account for himself and for his beard on Twitter. Yeah, I don't think he owns that one, though. There's another <laughs> one for his hair. They just keep popping up. <laughs> yes, they do. Ward, you can, you can relate, right? You've got an account for yourself and for your outfit. Yeah, there was somebody who started a Twitter account called Ward Bell's Outfit for a while there. <laughs> they were keeping that one up. I'll go find time. that so everybody can can rehash and revisit that one. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, interesting that you should have that tip uh, because um, my tip, my choice tip for today uh, was this person named uh, Nicole Oliver. Oh, oh, you mean the one we're speaking to? Yes, that one. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm because I'm. Uh, uh, Reaching back to your previous uh, uh, cast with us, um, where you um, were talking about decorators, and I, I just had a chance to go back and again and look at your your talk at at, at uh, NGConf, and I thought it was so good and so clear um, that I want people to to um, to go see that again to see what. TypeScript decorators uh, are um, and what they can do for you, and and it seems to be coming up again in the Angular world. Uh, there's uh, because of the recent changes that will make uh, writing effective decorators um, really more useful. I'm kind of curious. Uh, can you tell us what the state of decorators is in the TC39? I can't. I can't give you any updates from uh, when I last checked, which is 
they were completely revamping um, everything. So I think it was still in a stage two draft format. Um, and there, it seems like there is going to be quite a few changes. So the yes, version that we're stage seeing two here, just did a quick okay. check for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, um, it seems like it's going to be completely different from the, the TypeScript implementation. So we'll see what that brings. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yay. Well, I guess that's, uh, I'm so glad actually, actually I am, I loved your talk and it really made me want to write, uh, decorators and, um, which is what Thank a great you. talk does. Um, but on the other hand, it does sound like what you're saying to us is, uh, you know, realize, uh, that, uh, uh, the world is changing. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, and I wouldn't worry too much about some of those changes because sometimes, sometimes smarter people than I have figured out how something in TypeScript, which is different than what actually gets implemented slightly, uh, they end up figuring out how to map those things for a nice migration. So yeah, that would be uh, nice. I'm not too worried about that stuff, <laughs> but I'm just glad that it's still coming. I think once it hits stage three, that's when it's uh, effectively kind of in the, yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. where it's going to be this way, right? And that's a great talk, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. My person to follow is... Is Nicole Marie. Oliver. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Make it unanimous. <laughs> follow me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So my person to follow is Varun Bachar. And um, he is the director of UI architecture at Wrangle.io. Um, if you can get him to, like, come talk on uh, Real Talk J uh, JS, that would be super awesome. He is, like, a... I don't know. I, I think he's his work is like super, super cool. Um, so my colleague Nitin introduced me to him. Um, and he is both a really strong designer and a strong developer. Um, on his website, he has like a ton of really cool, impressive animations um, and experiments. And he's written a number of really interesting and thoughtful articles on uh, design and development. Um, so you can see all of this stuff on his website. Uh, which is varun.ca, so V-A-R-U-N.ca. Awesome. I'll put that right into the show notes for it. Yeah, we haven't had anybody from Wrangle.io on the show, and uh, they do a lot of great work. They I've do. Seen a lot of their they stuff, really do. So we definitely should reach out to some of those folks. If you're listening and you're from Wrangle.io, reach out to us. And if you're <laughs> from any company or you have any interest in technology, reach out to us. <laughs> we're always scheduling new shows. I think, Ward, we're scheduled... For the next two and a half months, uh, which is fantastic, but we're always looking for new amazing guests in any JavaScript technology. So please reach out to us on Twitter, either at RealTalkJS or to John underscore Papa on Twitter. You can just direct message. They're both open up there. And Nicole, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, it was really, really great to talk about CSS with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. This was great. And Ward, thanks for uh, being a great uh, punching bag for my bad dad jokes uh, all episode long yet again. And thank you all for listening to yet another week of Real Talk JavaScript. We'll see you every Tuesday morning. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealTalkJS. 